Hello, hello. Good evening to you. Good evening. You doing well? Yes. <laughs> Sometimes you always stop and think. It's been very, very hot. It's just you need to pay attention. Yeah, it's summer in Texas. What can you say? Yeah, it seems to affect me more this year. I don't know. It's been, I've been having to stay more hydrated. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting summer. Obviously, I mean. I don't think I don't think I felt it as much just because of how much we've had to be indoors. And yeah, not as much movement. I think that's part of it too. I've had to be in, but when I was out on the bike, usually I don't drink. But man, I've started having to stop and get a bottle of water and drink nearly the whole thing before I start again. But that's good. Yeah, and hydration, it, especially through water, is good. Especially now. One of the things I know I've been trying to do. Um, I've got two bottles of water here. Uh, and you, you probably noticed this every time we get together for this. I've been trying to make sure that I have enough water on yeah. And it's just one of those things you just have to try to just do because otherwise I, I'd end up drinking sugary drinks and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't drink soda, but um, there's sodas and no, not sodas, uh, like juices and stuff. Yeah, right. Um, or worse, I don't drink anything. I've had that where it's just tea in the morning and then I realize, man, I really didn't drink anything today. That's the thing that you got to be careful about is not drinking anything. Yeah. Um, it's in a number of ways. It's 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 kind of like like scripture, right? You you need that. I mean, there are days also that I've realized I haven't consumed <laughs> right. barely enough of it or at all any of it, and um, you go. It's getting awfully close to dangerous levels if if this keeps up this way. That's right. That's true. So, one of the things that's been on 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 my mind is questions, right? So it's it's just the, the, the this idea of questions. Um, I've been having a, a not maybe a lot of questions, but I'd say a couple of questions, given where everything is right now with with the COVID pandemic, where the country is with some of the um, social challenges and protests and then leading up to what uh, should be presidential and congressional elections um, in November um, you know at least one question that's been at the top of my mind is where do we go next what what, what happens after this because I'll be honest with with everything that's happened um, at different times I've I've felt very encouraged to participate, to lean in, to, to listen, to share, to care, to empathize, to support, to lead the cause uh, reluctantly. But then there are times, and this week was one of them, where I was like, I, th I think I'm done. I can't <laughs> have another courageous conversation in the workplace. I, I can't read another article of someone's experiences of discrimination. Um, I can't fathom another spike i can't fathom another protest i can't fathom another crisis and you know where do we go from here it's uh you know if you're a student of scripture of course uh i talk to a, to a lot of people and uh, you know i had i had uh 
I have people ask me questions. And I think sometimes that if you're one of those people everybody expects to have the answer, <laughs> it kind of it kind of shocks them when you have your own questions, you know. Yeah. And and uh, I think you've got to be careful of playing that role of the, the answer person because I think we all have questions at times, and uh, I think that where we're at now, uh, as society, as a uh, politically, socially, financially, spiritually, uh, is a is. I think right now there's a lot of uh, a lot of questions, more questions than answers, as far as I'm. You know, I can see. Mm -hmm. So, I know that as uh, Christians, we should uh, uh, bring a, a, a continue to have a, a outlook of hope and uh, positive. Uh, but uh, you know, sometimes the way things are going, I mean. I wonder what's going to happen to our small business people. Yeah. You know, I, I'm I'm concerned, and and I, I I'll be honest with you, I'm concerned about the small churches. I think that uh, I think that just by virtue of the financial impact of the COVID, that uh, I think we're going to lose a significant number of small businesses. And uh, you know, I, I I was in a conversation just the other day that uh, some of these even, I guess you'd call it mid-sized businesses uh, because they spent a lot of money reopening and now they're back to... Sheltering a bit. Mm -hmm. And so it's been, you know, the impact is just, uh, it leaves a lot of questions. It leaves some, uh, leaves some holes for people to uh, fill in and I think people generally want to hear uh, something positive and something that will give them hope. So if you're that person, if you're the hope guy and the positive guy and the answer guy, then uh, you're going to have a pretty tall job description right now because it's just, unless you're a prophet, and then maybe you can <laughs> see beyond we could use with a prophet or two. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For me, the the the, the question bit, I, I enjoy asking questions because I think you, you want to make sure that you're seeing things the way they should be seen, um, and not just be so quick to act based on what your eyes see or your ears hear, uh, or your heart feels. Sometimes you ask the question, is, is this thing what it seems? Is this all that it appears to be? And at different times, there have been so many things that have happened in the last few weeks and months. I mean, here, here's a shocker. It's, we're almost at the end of July. Yeah. You know, this is almost six months. Six months almost. In which we've been in this pandemic situation, or at least had a semblance of taking it seriously. Um, and, you know, at different stages, you go through that evolution of 
you start off and oh, it's just the flu and then okay it's more than the flu and then you start trying to be pessimistic and like okay this is the end and then a week or two later you're not dead and you go okay it's going to get better and but then you take a stock of things like i said you look back here we're in july it's like march april may june wait you know you know in a way i didn't see things lasting this long in a way it's pleasantly surprising that we've thrived if i guess we could call it that this long but like i said the other questions then go where do we go from here is this the new normal in which we're wearing masks and social distancing and um, working from home or is there any chance that things get back to a bit like they were before and there wasn't this thick air of a uh, panic or fear yeah then you look on the social side um you know we've had protests before and so you say well maybe this is just like the other protests um but then also you feel something special about this one you feel like things are really going to change but i've got to confess that in all honesty especially in the last two weeks my optimism optimism has shifted to skepticism and it's shifted to pessimism because yeah. i there's parts of me that feel like the movement that was honest and pure has been hijacked um and that what was pushing towards positive momentum where we were creating solution and peace and reconciliation has gone quite the opposite some of the things i read i go whoa that that's not what that's not what i want to fight for that's not what i am fighting for that's that's a little much and trying to discern then how much of that is just maybe my conception of one small aspect of the news or how pervasive is that really tr- throughout the culture and throughout the movement that's happening right now you know throughout throughout history one of the things that's happened with uh movements uh, both uh, whether it's just a, a, a revival uh, you know and a spiritual revival or, or whatever it gets to a point to where uh, and, and and this is and this is one of the thing that that uh, um, I think we need to pay attention to is um, I once asked the question, you know, why does revival stop? And one of the things that uh, that I was told is it begins to stop and lose momentum when people start over arguing over who's in charge. Mm. And I think as far as the protest thing, uh, we we. You know, if we had someone like uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or someone as a figurehead that people knew and trusted, right? Uh, but but that's not what we have. And and actually, some of the some of the different areas seem to be protesting against different things, and and uh, and so I think that just like 
a revival, I think people have got in the way. And the ideal has been lost in, or maybe not lost, but it's been diluted, diluted in the middle of people uh, clamoring for attention. And uh, so uh, there's, there's a lot of the... Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people in America have been trained for, I guess you would just call it, it's a fast food mentality, okay? You can go to the place, your burger place, and you can get a burger in five minutes and you're on the road, you know, and drive through this and drive through that. You you can drive through and get your coffee now, you know. I mean, it's just a... a a culture where we are geared to not wait. So one of the things that uh, I think we've been creating is ability to, to wait again because every time we get ready to go back up there and take on the world again, uh, yeah. wait, you know, because this is, you know, you're, 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 uh, you've got to be sure you keep your family safe. You've got to be sure you stay safe. you got to be, you know, so... You know, one of the things about social distancing, I'll just be honest with you. We, we were not designed for social distancing. We were designed to be together. I agree with that. Yeah. And, uh, and so that is one of the things that's hardest on us is uh, when we see those we love and would be able to greet them and... Uh, uh, and then, of course, we, you know, we're not supposed to shake hands. We're not supposed to hug. We're not supposed to do all those things. So we, we, uh, uh, it, that's hard on us. And uh, and it's because of the way we're 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 designed. We're we're designed to be together, to be around other. We need other people around us. We we actually thrive in that environment. Even if you're a loner, you know, yeah. you can go to a, a cafe and have a cup of coffee, but there's other people around. You know what I mean? You, 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 uh, you, you, you can be alone without being alone, alone. Yeah. And I think that uh, I think that's one of the hardest things about uh, this whole thing. It's even hard to comfort people. You know, you can't go and uh, I, I mean, being a pastor. Never in 40 years of ministry have I been told I couldn't see one of the people that were sick in a hospital. Never. I, they, I've, I, I've been in the hospital. I've even, you know, uh, been invited to go and see people. But now, people in the hospital are basically alone. And... Uh, and, and that is contrary to everything we've learned about what people need when they're in distress. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and, and it's, it's one of the things that, you know, uh, is this the new normal? And, and I'll be honest with you, it, it can't be. It just can't be. We, we have got to... Uh, move beyond that one of the 
one of the things with which I am contending in, in some of what you said, it, it definitely came to the surface. That idea of how we live in this fast food culture where technology is giving us, I think, a false a false understanding of how the world really works. Um, and there's, there's a lot of things that I'm seeing about our culture, about the way that we have lived and interacted with each other that is significantly hollow, that the speed with which technology has allowed us to interact with each other gave us a false sense that we're connecting. Social media is, is, is one um, where when, you know, we talk about people stunting for the gram, for example, no one's really doing that now because there's nowhere to go and not many people um, have the same level of economic resources as they did pre-pandemic to, to make those purchases. Um, and, and, and so I think, I think maybe that's part of also what it is, is that there's an exposure of how hollow we've been in our relationships, in our connections with people, that you're seeing what those real relationships are and what the, the fickle relationships are. Because now when you don't get to be physically present with people or um, just really engage them normally as you previously would, the gaps are even more glaring, you know. The, 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 the holes are very much more evident. And I hope that people are seeing this as an opportunity to rebuild, rethink, reimagine, and re-engage in true, honest fashion, that we can't afford superficiality anymore, that we can't afford things to look good, smell good, feel good, but really not be good at its core. There has to be a solid, strong foundation. And I say this especially in light of, of what's happening. As I mentioned earlier, part of my fatigue uh, with, with these courageous conversations, especially in corporate America and in the workplace, we, we're, we're having quite a number of these. And I, I really felt like I attended my last one on, on I think it was Thursday. Um, and, and, and I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I, I, I can't attend another one. And, and it's not because I don't believe in what we're trying to accomplish, but there are a lot of times when I hear the stuff and, as I said, I ask questions. And the more questions I ask, I am not guessing answers that gives me any confidence that this is anything more than just another initiative and just another fad. And, and, and so for me, one of the conversations I had with someone is, is like, look, where's the love? Where's the love in the workplace? I mean... I understand you want to do a diversity and inclusion initiative, but to me, that's that's just an initiative. I, I don't. It's not that I don't care to hear from the CEO, but if I am not feeling the love from my frontline manager, from my direct, rep, you know, supervisor, or, or my team members, I don't. It, it's going to be hard for the CEO to engage me on a consistent basis. Don't get me wrong; there are strong, wonderful CEOs who are rising to the the four who are choosing to take that mantle of leadership and engage their people but the nature of their responsibility is such that they can't exist in that same level of intimate interactions with their employees on a daily basis that's the job of the frontline manager that's how the, you know it's it, it set up and and i'm seeing that absence of where's the love and where's the compassion because i think that if we led with that then 
you know, when people actually use those phrases that we oftentimes hear, well, I don't see color, I can believe that. Because instead, I'm just going to say it. I don't want to be called or referenced as Linus the black guy anymore. I just want to be Linus. Like, don't treat me as a black person or a member of a black community. Because even within that, I mean, what does it mean to be black? It means to be so many different things. I mean, for example, I was born and raised in Nigeria. My black experience is quite different yeah. from someone who grew up born and raised uh, in, in, in North America. I, I, I became a citizen through naturalization process. I had a chance to experience other cultures and other parts of the world before you know, settling in America. And so my experiences are, are quite unique and quite different. But more than anything else, it's if you love me, you wouldn't say, okay, as a black person, you know, and that's the other thing too. It's too many conversations start with, well, as a black person, as a woman, as a person of color, as a this, and I'm going like, wait, hold on a second. How about we talk about Frank? Yeah. Let's talk about Linus. Let's talk about Joe. Let's talk about Karen. Let's talk about Johnny, whatever. Like, let's, let's treat people like people and take the time to invest to get to know them as opposed to dealing with people from a distance and using initiatives and, and programs as cover for really caring and choosing to understand or get to know people. That's a, that's, that's a deep insight. Um, and and I, I think that it is important socially for the U.S. to get back to talking about people as people instead of from whatever perspective that they want to identify themselves socially with. Uh, uh, corporate structure doesn't lend itself to love. Now, I've seen some of it done very well. I mean, I, I, I mean, I've seen some of it done very well, and I'm not saying that they don't care, but a lot of times it's hard to communicate how you care from a place of power. And to do that, you have to allow yourself to be somewhat vulnerable. And uh, uh, it's there, but in in I think today a lot of people are just. Uh, I mean, I think they're afraid to do that, without uh, having some kind of qualifications on what you have to say or what you want to to get across. I think some people now are, are just afraid to do that, and uh, uh, some probably rightfully so, but. It's, it's a culture that we need to get back to, to that where we don't think about people as color, we think about people as, as people. But don't you think therein lies the danger, right? Because everyone seems to be operating from a position of power in terms of who has it and who doesn't have it. And those who don't have it are looking to get it or, and, and to get it from those. My estimation has always been that the opposite of power is love. Because power says... I am at this position on the hierarchy, on the totem pole, and you are that position. And by virtue of me being higher or elevated than you are, I will function from that perspective. But love says, even though I am higher, I am choosing to put you at the same level. Or and higher. if you are unable to come to, I will come to your level yes. and elevate you above myself and think of you primarily over myself and and take your needs and, and your concerns into consideration. 
and and I don't think there's enough of that because I think what 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 I feel sometimes in and I'm not trying to disparage because I am speaking generally here, but I'm not trying to disparage anybody's efforts. But I do feel sometimes it's just a it's like someone says, well, let me be in charge for a change, and there is this arrogance I feel that we think we will be any better than the people who have been in power. And it's a tough thing because I've had this conversation with people is we need to stop reading stories and narratives and always see ourselves or cast ourselves as the hero. Nobody ever casts themselves as the villain. No one ever thinks they're capable of doing that very despicable thing that you know the bad guys are doing because we think we're better because we think we're, I don't know, more noble. But the truth is, power corrupts, right? Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. So I think we need to be careful. And I'm not saying that people should not look for an equalization or a balancing of power roles, but don't think yourself much better than the person who has been exercising power over you. Because I think were it not for the opportunity to be in power, you very well could be doing the very same thing to them. I, th I think what it's important to understand is ever since the world started, things haven't been set up the way that we share power. There's always been those that have positions of authority and those that don't. And then middle stuff in between there. But in the current climate that we have, the thing that motivates uh, people in authority is they want to be seen as strong and they want to be seen as leading. But what happens is that fear just literally motivates people to lock into uh, their, I guess you would say, their their positional role and uh, and try to do all the right stuff to... to, to uh, create a culture of love, you, ha you have to step away from the fear. Well, uh, what will happen if people perceive me as, you know, uh, not a person of authority? What will happen if, you know, what will happen if you have to get away from that and you have to do that? I've seen, like I said, I've seen people that did it very well. And uh, there's a huge church in Phoenix, that uh, the pastor there allowed his authority to be shared. Mm. Now, uh, not everybody can do that. They're afraid somebody's going to try some kind of... But it's that love that just flowed through him, that flowed through his leaders... To the leaders that they had, and I mean, it's it's. I've only seen it a, a few times, but you've got to step away from the fear, and you you have to be confident in who you are, not as a leader, but as a person. Hmm. And uh, I I think maybe twenty years ago or so, uh, uh, and I think that. I, you know, we're, we're, we're always a small church and, and uh, always like people to come to church and everything. So you protect yourself from 
uh, I had just kind of a revelation that, you know, our, our mission is, uh, it's, it's different than corporate America, of course. Our, our mission is to reach people with the message of Christ. But still, you have to step away from being afraid that somebody's, uh, I guess, maybe it was, for me it was step away from comparing myself to other higher leaders. You understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, other people that had, quote, unquote, more authority or whatever. I had to stop comparing myself with them and realize, I guess, Linus said, I really didn't want the same things that they did. So uh, I guess it's operating your your sphere of influence where you have confidence in who you are and you're able to share that with uh, with others without uh, making them feel the weight of your authority. But you know, you know being in a position of authority Sometimes people that need to come to you the most won't do it if they don't know you care. Yeah. If they know you care, they will. They'll come and they'll sit down and talk to you. They may not make much sense sometimes, but they'll talk to you. If they don't know you care, they'll uh, they'll just avoid it, the people that need to talk to you the most. The ones that don't, they're, you're going to hear from them all the time. Well, but, but interestingly also, one of the things in my experience also is that I've learned as a leader even though I, I've, I've always tried to make myself available, I've also recognized that there's some people who wouldn't. And and as a leader, it's my, I, I could I can't not just take it on the surface of look I made myself available and every time you know I interact with people I let them know I'm available. But I think there are times where I have to be proactive and do the reaching out. That it's like I can sense that someone is struggling with something. Yes. And while it's their responsibility to come share with me or come let me know, but you know, there's only so, so I, I can't keep on waiting for them to do it. And I think going back to that difference between power and love is that I could always say, well, I'm the boss. I can't be chasing 500 or 50 or however many people are in my charge. You know, they should be the ones reaching out to me, especially since I've broadcasted that I have this open door policy. And so if they don't take advantage of it, you know, you know, you what, what more can I do? You can't force them to drink, right? Even though you bring them to the water. That's true. And, and there are times I struggle with that and I've had to overcome that to say, you know what, I need to lean in and, and, and figure out and, and ask that person. And that's part of, I think, what brings about and reinforces the trust and, 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 and the faith that this is that you see me as a person and not just as a headcount, that you see me as an individual and not just this employee or a member of an employee group. Um, and, and I think uh, my mission, my goal, I guess, if you could call it that, in, in this movement, in this time, is to really cause those who are in leadership to lean in personally. And, and one of the things I've tried to say is we need to stop waiting for the firm or the organization or the business to do something. You do something. Stop waiting for the CEO or for the VP. You are a leader and you show that love to people. I've seen people who have gone very committedly to taking care of their people and 
those people would do anything for them. They don't like the organization. They don't even want to work for that person's boss. But because that person asked, because that person yeah. needed them, they bent over backwards. They've yeah. gone 12 rounds and they will go one more uh, just because that person is the one who asked them to. And I think in, in our organizations, we're losing that. Slowly but surely, I think we're losing that uh, because I think there are far too many people who are seeing hurting people in the workplace and saying to themselves, well, I didn't do that to them. They negotiated that salary. Yes. They, it's, it's at will employment. You know, they don't have to be here if they don't like it. Yeah. And using that as a justification to, to keep on walking or, or to ignore that thing and not wanting to stop because they don't want to lose momentum on their own journey and their own race and their own, you know, pursuit of success, however it is they might choose to define it. And, and, and that's actually... Uh, I, I've heard those exact terms, you know, in in meetings. They don't have to work here, you know. Uh, if, and, and the same thing about the salaries too. And but, uh, and there's something to there's something to to understanding that um, life. Gives you opportunities to um, speak into the lives of others, and I know sometimes you may think you're talking to the wind, but even somebody that doesn't look like they're paying attention, a lot of times they're hearing every word you say, and it's like fresh water in the middle of the desert. But uh, being willing to care is the first step. Uh, but you know yourself, the more you care, the more you open yourself up to more work, more personal time, more all of that stuff. And that's what's needed. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, where, where I worked, we, we, you know, the supervisor level was responsible for you know those kind of relationships and then after uh many years they came up with personnel hr mm -hmm. and then it became the responsibility hr to be all all of the supervisors shoved that responsibility yeah, we'll just fo focus on the operational exactly. work stuff all the fluffy stuff has to hr and talent do it yeah and then they uh, uh, created an adversarial relationship between the, the HR department and the rest of the supervisors. So they, uh, they actually just kind of made their own little island where we'll just handle the, the business stuff and these guys have to handle all the problem stuff, you know. So, so if you had a problem uh, and you went to talk to your supervisor and you went to talk to your supervisor, you say, well, hold on. You need to call this number. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And, but, so, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly. It's the abdication <laughs> of that's not my problem or it's a problem. So go, go yes. to HR versus, no, I'm coming to you because, I don't know, there's something there. We have a relationship. Let's be honest. How many of us, you know, in the workplace have actually met HR? 
I mean, I'm in a fairly large organization. HR really is, it could be sometimes, this abstraction that, yes. you know, as you said, it's a number you call or an email you send and somebody might get back to you versus it's your boss. Dude, I see you every day. You know this issue. I mean, it's tough enough. It's a challenge enough for me to come to you and talk to you about this, but now you want me to go to somebody who doesn't know me, doesn't have the context, you know, and, you know, have them be my rabbi in uh, in offer confessions to them you know it's just it's it's so backwards and almost to the point of being asinine sometimes it is it, it, that it, I'm it, like why yeah. do we do that you know I, I what happened to me was um of course I was a supervisor and uh for for several years and uh I had a lot of leeway but actually uh I went to a class, and everybody in HR was in that class. And so I got to hear over, it was a week-long class, so I got to hear over, you know, the. I mean, these people, they were had, they had doubts, and they had, they faced all these challenges and stuff, and, you know, it changed my thinking. Plus, I mean, I met their VP and their, <laughs> you know, I created relationships there that over the next 15 years, I mean, I just built on those. And and so it, it, it was, uh, it really show, showed me another side of, of who HR was, but it showed me another side of who I was too. So uh, over the years, uh, and, and sometimes you need, to, if you see someone struggling and, uh, you can you can you can say, look, you know, I can tell something's going on. Are you willing to share about it, or is there some way that I can help you? Just something that'll give them an opportunity. And now they don't always take it then, but maybe a little ways down the road they will. And uh, I've had several people that would say, "Are you still, you know?" But you know, the open door policy. I've heard that from every. Uh, manager, uh, director, all that kind of stuff. I've got open door policy and, uh, you know, uh, I always laugh because one, one guy, you know, he, he's had an open door policy, but <laughs> you had to email his secretary <laughs> and get on the calendar and it may, but, you know, but it was open door policy and, uh, and, and, you know, uh, and I'll tell you something, the truth line is some of the leaders uh, in, in higher positions that cared for their people, um, it, it, it was really hard on them. Because, you know, if you have 10,000 employees and you've got to make a decision that affects them, uh, sometimes those that are hurting are just... Uh, they're casualties because there's nothing you can do to change what's happening. And uh, and if you don't have that uh, pathway for your managers and directors and others to create that where they can help their people, help your people, then... You're going to be isolated, and sometimes I've have seen some of the really uh, high up people 
agonize over a decision they have to make and then basically be taken out of their hands by someone higher, you know, just say, this is what's happening. You know, you're going to have to, uh, you know, you're going to have to get okay with this and, 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 um, but, uh, when you have people that, that, that care and, 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 and also, uh, when you have people that care, they, they, uh, they not only reach out, but I'm convinced people can tell whether you care or not. And if you care, people are willing to talk to you. And uh, you said you mentioned a word a while ago, kind of in passing, but it's trust. And I think that that is one of the the things that we have lost in most working environments uh, is the trust between the, the person who's in charge and the person who's doing the work. And that's just hard to recapture if you, if you get on that side of it. And it may not even be, might, it might not be the result of something you did. It may just been a, a result of a, a decision that was handed down. Uh, but still... Uh, if you care, if you love people, they'll know it, and they'll respond to that. So while we've been talking, uh, it's dawned on me that my feelings and, and, and some of the things that I've shared seem to align with uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, a parable actually, um, and it's that of the Good Samaritan. Um, it's a parable that actually begins with an expert of the law who stands up in an attempt to, to test Jesus um, by posing a question to him as to what one must do to inherit internal, eternal life. And it's, it starts with, I think you might be asking the wrong question because Jesus responds to him with a different question, and I think it's a more important question. So I think you're asking the wrong question. The question isn't what must you do to inherit eternal life. What you should be considering is what does the law say, right? But not more, more than that, how do you read it? And by reading it, how, how it's not just here's the text of it, but how does it apply to you? How does it become alive inside of you? And, and so being the expert of the law that he is, he goes on to say that uh, the greatest commandment, uh, what's written in the law is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and, um, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus' response to him wasn't that, yes, that's how you get eternal life. His response was, do that and you'll live. But again, he wants Jesus to justify himself, right? He's like, whoa, 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 you're not going to get away from this. And he asks the question, who's my neighbor? think Jesus is saying, okay, now I think we're getting somewhere. Like, this is the kind of question you should be asking, right? Because I think so many times we're focused on the macro goal, right? And as Christian believers, sometimes, you know, we're focused on heaven and eternal life, but we forget that we still have a life here on earth to live. Yeah. We still have people that we experience. I mean, one of the things you, you've probably heard me say is, you know, we dwell so much and we pay too much attention to mountaintop experiences. And we forget that they are far and few in between. 
but more than anything else, they're intended to prepare us to go back into the valley because that's where everyday life is lived, is in the valley, right? We will always have these wonderful accomplishments, birthdays, anniversaries, you know, these milestones that we encounter that causes us to throw a party, a celebration, a promotion. But every day is not so exciting. It's drudgery, for lack of better word. And that's where life is lived, right? And we forget that, look, yes, eternal life is there, but you got to love people every day. How can you really be focusing on that thing that is seemingly beyond your control and not influencing that which is beyond your control? And so we're introduced to the story of a man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and on the way is robbed and beaten and seemingly left for dead. And along comes uh, a priest uh, who's going down the very same road. He sees the man and chooses to pass on the other side. Uh, in a short manner of time, a, a Levite comes through uh, and he sees the man and again chooses to pass on the other side. And it's not until a Samaritan, someone who is unaffiliated, someone who probably should not be interacting with this man, um, sees him. And instead of looking away, he decides, not decides, he actually has pity, he has sympathy, he has compassion on him. And he goes in and he bandages his wounds. He pours oil and wine um, and then puts the man on his own donkey, takes him to an inn, leaves him in the care of the innkeeper and promises that any additional cost that's incurred, he will foot the bill upon his return. And Jesus leaves him with that interesting question, who's this man's neighbor, the one who helped him? And Jesus says, go and do likewise. To me, that story is so powerful because when I put it in the context of what's happening today, I see a lot of people who are suffering through racial discrimination, through uh, injustice and inequity, they have been robbed of their chance at the American dream. They've been robbed at a chance at being the best that they possibly could be. Seemingly left for dead. There are a lot of people, life has passed them by. And there are those of us who are in positions of authority, learned positions, positions of influence. And we come by these people in life and repeatedly we choose to look away. We choose not to look at their hurt. We choose to pass by on the other side of the road. And I think in a number of ways, we've all been complicit in some of the challenges that have manifested and played out today because we chose to look away. We chose to say, hey, I didn't rob that guy. I didn't beat him, so I owe him no responsibility or care of duty. But there are people who need our help. There are people who could use for a few more of us to stop alongside the road and help them. And I felt convicted in that to really challenge myself to say, where are those places and who are those people that in walking down the road, in seeing them, I didn't have compassion on them. I looked away, I went the other side, or I said, you know what, not my problem, not my responsibility, maybe their fault, you know, and that's, and see, that's a weird thing, 
is that slowly, once you stop showing love, it's so easy how quickly you can start becoming accusatory to other people. They didn't work hard enough. They're not smart enough. I mean, if I figured it out, why couldn't they figure it out? And look, sometimes, yeah, maybe people did make poor choices. But for us to have that arrogance of we are so good because we are good or we get everything that we got because we did things right and sometimes we forget the role of grace and mercy and all the helping hands that have ushered us into our success and we begin to become judge jury and executioner for other people's misfortune and we forget that it just can easily or could have easily have happened to us for not biological lottery of being born in America being born in a particular skin, being born to a particular family, uh, or the good fortune of other people who had love and mercy towards us. You know, we're not we're not really told who this guy is, and it's a it's a parable. But I always think of parables that Jesus gives is, is being true situations. Uh, and America over the last long time has been a country of don't get involved. That's what they tell you. Don't get involved. Your mom will tell you, your dad, don't get involved. Mind your business. Mind your business. Mind your own business. And uh, for some good reasons, that's good, good advice. But there again, I think a lot of times people know what they need to do. And I'm going to say... This Levite, that probably bothered him. You know, I let that go on the side of the road, you know. Yeah. What am I going to do, you know? And he probably beat himself up for a while, and then he went on about his business. You know, it's just I'm just saying. But uh, in the U.S. today, if you're going to get involved, there's a chance you'll be sued. There's a chance... You too will be beaten up. There's a chance that, uh, you know, this guy actually here, and if you read that passage of Scripture, it actually, this guy took him to the end. He stayed with him and took care of him all night. He didn't leave till the next day. Mm. And uh, so he's uh, number one, he cared more about the person than he did about the repercussions. Mm. And uh, so here again, I, I, and, I, and I still think that uh, our, our teaching that we've been taught for so many years of don't get involved, uh, even, even uh, you know, it's, it's just like uh, if, uh, if somebody does a crime and the police come and ask questions, nobody saw anything. You know, <laughs> nobody saw anything, and it's the same thing. Don't don't get involved. You know, 
and if if we get involved now let's just say we we talk about this guy that he invested his time and money but what if he what if he was on the uh, on the way to an important meeting yeah. you know what if he was on the way to do something equally as important as the priest or the levite yeah. but he still stepped out of his comfort zone and took care of this guy. Today, uh, several things stop us. One, uh, you see these people struggling and you want to help. I have no idea how this, how much this is going to cost, you know. I may not have the resources. I may just get halfway through this thing. So we could let a lot of things stop us. But the, you know, when you cross to go on the other side of the road to avoid something, I think you need to start paying attention. And I'm not saying you have to literally cross the road. We do it in our mind sometimes, you know. Cross the road. <laughs> I'm not, I, I'm, not? I'm not getting involved we, we here. We see an issue coming. We see literally a person coming. I, I know, true confession, I, I've, there are some people, I know their problems. I've heard of their problems before they came to me. And I can see that they're, they're making their way. In short time, they, you know, okay, I got to make a beeline. I got to find a way not to be on this road. You know, so, so that's the thing. I don't want to cross the other side of the road, so I'm going to find a way to take a different road to, to, yeah, I've to, got, to avoid them. And, uh, and you know, uh, some of the, sometimes, and, and I, th- I think one of the points that you, we need to see here is the guy jumped in it was a conscious decision to help someone that had been beaten and robbed. And uh, I would like to say that that wouldn't happen in the U.S. today, but it does every day. And uh, by and large, most of us are unaware. Uh, But to be willing to help, you've got to be willing to go all in. Do you find it curious? Because this is this is this is something else. There's so many, so many nuggets and insights that that, that I'm seeing on this. So one of the things I find curious is that when I put this within the context of today's society. When I see the people sometimes that I believe are willing to help, they seem to be willing to go after the robbers to stop and help the person that's been robbed. There seems to be more rage. Let's go find who those robbers are. It's like, look, there may be a time for that, but right now what needs our urgent attention is this guy laying on the side of the road. So let's 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 work on him, right? And the and, and so let's. Let's stop the rage against the, the armed robbers. Yes, everyone's against armed robbers and bandits who beat people and leave them on the side of the road. But we can't do that at the expense of the person who needs help. He has a short window, right? I, I, 
my sense of it is if he was there much longer, yeah. he literally would have died because there was no aid coming to him. At the very least, being on the highway, he was <coughs> exposed not only to the elements, but also potentially to wild animals, right? And he's defenseless to fight them off. And so they very easily could have uh, devoured him. But to stop and help. Now, the other excuse that I know sometimes people give is they want to help. They don't want to cross the other side of the street. But they rationalize to themselves, well, I am not the right person. I'm not the yes. kind of help that he mm -hmm. needs. Mm -hmm. This guy needs a doctor. This guy needs to go to the ER. And so I am not a medical professional, and I don't want to make things worse, and so I don't want to get in. But this guy went down and, and bandaged his wounds and poured oil and wine. Now, I don't have the sense that this guy is a medical professional or is a doctor or that he did this right. I'm not even sure if he used, uh, you know, the right procedures or sanitize right, yeah, his hands or anything but there was such a desperate need in front of him that he did what was necessary but then didn't stop there right because sometimes i think giving people insufficient help might even times be worse so he didn't just say all right i did my bit i bandaged it and i put olive piece out i'm scott you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm you know i'm free in my conscience he was like look this guy needs more than what i can do so let me, let me get him to the place that he needs. And, and here's something that I always missed is, is the humility of stepping down from his own donkey and putting the wounded man on it. Yeah. Which means that for the rest of the journey from where he met the man to the inn, he was walking. He was enduring the dust and, 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 and the fatigue as opposed to he could have been riding on his donkey, which was his right. But instead, he gave up his right. And that goes back to what I was saying about power and love. The power could have been, well, I didn't do this to the guy. So if I'm helping, it's better than what he had. I mean, I could make him walk or, you know, or leave him there and say, I've tried. But no, he, he, he literally put this guy above him on the donkey. And he put himself below him walking, guiding this donkey. You know, if you had seen this, this would probably be the role that a servant would otherwise have yes, had. Yes, it would. Is yes. to is to walk <coughs> ahead of the donkey and 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 the, you know, and the masters on on the donkey. But he puts this person that he doesn't know, hasn't met, um, and 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 does that, and then takes him to the inn to say, okay, I've helped as much as I can help, in this proximate situation. Now let me hand him over to the professionals who can really do the work of that. And I think you know. For, for us as, 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 as believers, even in the workplace, to use that context, you know, I might not be able to help people solve their problems. Sometimes really what they need in that moment is someone to hear them, someone to listen to them and do that. And after you listen to them, you say, hey, listen, based on what you said, I think you need to talk to somebody else. or I need to connect you to some other resource, whether it's one within the organization uh, or one out there. Uh, but that, 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 that becomes part of the full response that I think we need to have is doing as much as we can, but then also transporting people to that much more sufficient um, level of, of, of assistance that they really do need. You know, uh, it, it, in today's time, you run the risk, uh, to be on, really honest, you, you run the risk of if you, if you try to help someone and uh, you, you can you can you can be sued. You can do a lot of things, but I think it's interesting that they made the Good Samaritan law. 
and that and that law says you know you can't be put in jeopardy because you try to help someone that was you know in that situation hurt or something like that you, you if you try to render aid and uh uh that you you have some legal protection to in 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 this state and but otherwise also in in uh you you can in 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 this state you can be uh, you can actually if you leave somebody knowing they're in jeopardy you can also have legal action brought against you too right. so <clears throat> if you uh so a lot of a lot of a lot of this isn't it strange though that the law uh, is changed to where it's legal today. Uh, you know, we talking about in legal uh, terms in in our society, but the law then was the law of the Lord. Uh, but what kind of bothers me about this story and? It, it, it's always bothered me about this story, is the priest didn't do anything. I mean, if anybody should care, right? Uh, but he had a service to, to, I, to I officiate. I know that. I, 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 <laughs> he had a ceremony to run. The whole reason for doing this is we should care for people and love people. And that's always just bothered me, you know. Uh, and I know he might have had church stuff to do, but... Uh, uh, and, and I think that that's, uh, you know, the, uh, some of the excuses that you mentioned a while ago, I think those are some of the excuses people uh, use, but uh, probably they were excuses used then. But uh, uh, I think another thing that happens today is people don't know what to do. Uh, and... Uh, used to when I was on construction jobs, we had a safety meeting every Monday morning. And uh, so if something happened on the job after you had been a part of it for several months, then you couldn't legitimately say, I didn't know what to do. You, you know what I mean? You really didn't have an excuse for not trying to help someone if you saw something like that happen. Uh, but we, we uh, I mean, it, it could be so simple as just tell them, if you see somebody hurt, you need to go help them, you know. Uh, but uh, in today's world, uh, have you heard the term, God helps those who help themselves? I have a problem with that. Just so, <laughs> just so, just just so anybody, but I have, yeah. just so anybody who knows is listening, that is not in the Bible. <laughs> that that is not a scripture reference. It it is. It's not even true. Uh, so, God actually helps those who can't help themselves. And so, let's just say this: this guy was a Samaritan, and. Uh, actually uh, wasn't thought well of by the priest or the Levite. He was uh, not considered a part of their circle. And so that didn't stop 
the Samaritan from helping. So I think we need to realize we can't let everything that we come across stop us from helping people. And, and, and it's been my experience, a lot of times, a lot of people don't need as much help as this guy did. Yeah. They just need a kind word. Yeah. They yep. just need yep. a little encouragement. And there are those that, uh, I'll be honest with you, I, I ha there are people that I've been uh, talking with that I've talked with for many, many years and still do. And uh, But if you love people, you can't avoid it, you know. And it... it I think it's by virtue of love that you're going to be faced with those situations. God can't send people that need help to people that won't help them. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm going to tell you the truth, Linus. What I really believe is I believe that a lot of people in positions of authority don't even see the people that need help in their organization. They don't even know it. And it's just because they don't look with the right eyes. You they don't even, they're not even aware of it. Yeah. You, you, you talked about how challenging it's been for us to, to live in a socially distant world. Yes. And, I, and I've been careful about that because I know even some of the you know, medical professionals have, have come out to clarify that it's physically distant and not socially distant. But in a number of ways, we have always been, even before this pandemic, socially distant to that point, especially as leaders. We, 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 we've, we've chosen to take the path in which we had more work and more responsibility for the operation of the organization that we intentionally overlooked the health and the well-being of the organism of the company, which is really a combination of the people, the actual people and the lives that make up that place. And for different reasons, we don't want to, because let's be honest, I say this oftentimes, people are messy. And if you're going to deal with people, you're going to get your hands messy. Uh, look at your own family. Uh, look at your own circle of friends. You know, Every now and then something messy comes up and you're like, Ugh, I don't want to deal with this, but you have to. Um, and it's tough enough for that for us to do it with the people that we love, our own flesh and blood. But we come to the workplace and we, we, we reduce the sum total of our interactions in the workplace, which again is so mind-boggling. I keep on going back to the simple statistics. If all you did was work 40 hours a week, you would spend more waking hours with your colleagues at work than you would with your family and friends, right? So we have made it a transaction and not a relationship. That's interesting. We've made it that, look, how you're getting paid, right? <coughs> you got a paycheck last Friday. You're going to get another one in two weeks. If you don't like it, you can always go down the street and take another job. And so I don't have to care about you because I am already taking care of you by giving you a paycheck. Or we're here of our own free will and volition. And so let's not all get personal. We keep saying it's not personal. It's business. No, it is personal. Because my interactions in the workplace influences my mindset when I go back home. 
I have had horrible days at work. I have had horrible interactions with people in the workplace, whether they were colleagues, team members, clients, that influenced my attitude even when I came to church. And I was not looking forward to the rest of the service because really I was not looking forward to Monday. Yeah. This service means I am two hours closer to Monday. And so, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking and I'm dreading that. And it's weighing so heavily upon me that I can't even relate to the people who love me, to the people who are reaching out to check in on me because of that. And I think that that is, that is a real challenge that I think we must address, we need to contend with. Leaders, especially for those of you listening, I'm speaking to you, we can no longer allow HR or talent. Yes. We can no longer or, uh, allow other functions within the organization be a proxy for the right relationship that we need to have with our people. I mean, it, it is heartbreaking to me when I speak with a number of people who, even in the midst of all of this, we're heartbroken by the fact that no one in leadership, I mean, the CEO of their respective organization said something, there was a call at that level, but their own line manager, I mean, they spoke with that person multiple times that day, didn't even say a cursory word like, hey, how are you doing? How are you holding up? I understand to some degree because I share in those fears of I don't want to be intrusive. I share in that fear of I don't want to mess things up because sometimes even when you try to make things right, there is the risk that you might mess it up. Yes. There is the risk that you will get messy yourself because you have to very true. get down to that level. And then you take on, you know, that's another thing now I have to worry about and carry on my conscience. I understand that. But wouldn't it be so much better if we tried? One of the quotes that I read once, and it stuck with me, uh, is people would complain in, in organizations. What if... I spent so much money training people and then they quit. And someone says, what if you didn't spend the money and they stayed? In that same sense, we're afraid that if we invested emotionally, that we invested, that we think the worst of it. But what if we didn't, as we're not doing, and those same people stayed, and those same issues percolated, and those same issues exacerbated? What then? What kind of businesses are we going to end up with? What kind of organizations are we going to end up with? What kind of employees are we going to end up with? What kinds of what kind of life and society and community are we going to end up with? I, I was told uh, uh, with uh, investing in training people exactly that. What if they just quit? And I said, if they quit, at least wherever they go next will know that we train people that come to us. Uh -huh. And that's all they ever said. I never had one request for training denied after I told them that. So it was good. But I want to tell you a little story. This happened to me when I was, let's say, 50 years ago. My wife and I had an old car and, uh, you have to understand financial things at that in, in that time were not the same as they are now. And I had an old car, and uh, something happened. 
on the way to Burnett, Texas. And so I had no other option. There weren't cell phones then. You have to understand, no cell phone, no, none of that kind of stuff. So, uh, no. So, I just standing on the side of the road, and this nice Mercedes stopped. And it was an older gentleman and his wife, very well dressed. Picked us up. Said, "Can we help you?" And so we got in their car. You know, I'd never been in a car like that. Man, it was just incredible. Air conditioning worked, and the gentleman was so friendly. His wife was quiet, but he was friendly, and he just started talking. And he, it turns out he was one of the upper people in IBM. And uh, he took us all the way to where we needed to go, and was he? He was very pleasant. Talked all of that stuff. And um, I, it, just talking about this a parable, uh, now I wasn't wounded or anything, but, uh, but we were on the side of the road. We didn't have any resources. We weren't going to be able to get anywhere. And this guy just stopped. I mean, uh, uh, just a very nice gentleman. Took us where he was. He didn't... Uh, Ask us if there's anything else he could do, you know, uh, just, and, and, and I, I mean, uh, so to help people out of a jam, sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's emotional, and, and I think that uh, if you're a leader, and there's a lot of people around you, or you have a lot of people that work for you, then you run the risk of being uh, emotionally and therefore spiritually overwhelmed if you're not careful. So understand that whatever help we give is going to come from the Lord through us. And that way, uh, you know... Uh, you know, some of the times you help people and and, uh, and you think, uh, you know, there's, I, I've been several times the same way that uh, you've, you've, you've been. I've, I've, I've actually thought that when we built a new church, I would build a, uh, a door where I could, go straight on the platform from my office without going through <laughs> all the people in here and all the stuff that happened there, you know, and you don't want to hear anything bad, you know, you, you, you've had all of that happen, all that happened all week. And, uh, and then you hear some uh, wonderful testimony of how something happened. And, uh, but uh, the truth is, is that just like that gentleman and his wife stopping to pick up two young people. Uh, that really didn't cost them a lot. But they were willing to do it. And it's been my experience, if you're willing to help, God will give you that opportunity. So, uh, now, this, this occurrence here, 
and and we're kind of talking about something a little bit different in, in some of the terms that you've been using because this wasn't a planned occurrence this was something that happened uh that the that the uh the Samaritan was not aware of. He just happened to see this man on the side of the road. And a lot of what we've been talking about is is, is things that we see coming, mm-hmm. we see happening. We're aware of what's happening. We're aware of what could happen. And so sometimes if we're uh, proactive, then we don't have to wait for somebody to get beat up on the side of the road before uh-huh. we can help them. Yeah. Yeah. You understand? Maybe... You know, if he'd have been there on his donkey before and he had a big stick with him, <laughs> he could have just shook his stick at the robbers and they ran off. But he wasn't there. it didn't happen in the story. But we could be. We we are there sometimes when we can be we can stand between the issue and the person yeah. and and uh they don't have to have that level of uh help and investment that that the person who the Samaritan had was. And and it becomes easier to help too, right? And I think that's what is so shocking is a good number of the problems and the issues are solvable, if not through prevention, much easily solvable because by the time it manifests to where it registers in our radar, where it's in your face, I mean, it's, it's one of the things that is so, 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 so challenging about like the protest. The fact that it took this whole time and it took a protest for a lot of people to wake up to see that there is a problem, tells you that that problem is so deeply entrenched that there is no such thing anywhere resembling easy solutions. But some of these things, many of these things, were much, much easier to address further up the road if we had been paying attention to prevent these things from happening. Um. We're going to see some changes. Initially, I was very, uh, I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't foresee what's happening now uh, the way that it is. I actually was very, I, I had a very positive, uh, I was inclined to think very positively about some of the things that would happen. I, I think that's, I think some of this has been overshadowed by some of the things that have already been done. Uh, we'll see some changes. We'll, we'll see definitely see changes in the police force. However, some of the things that uh, some of the uh, governing bodies in the cities have done, I think, jeopardize that. I mean, they've literally uh, defunded police departments. Uh, I mean, some of those things are... Uh, I don't think those are the things that need to happen. I think there needs to be some consciousness uh, that is like a general across the country that instead of uh, individual cities reacting and doing things that jeopardize their people. And uh, so I'm hopeful that some of this will uh, reach people that Let's just say I, I <laughs> reach some people with good sense that they can take some action that will 
uh, unify people and protect people. And uh, helping people actually unifies people. And uh, it's... And another thing I'm just going to go back to, sometimes it just don't take that much. You know, it just don't, it doesn't take that much. We don't have to let everybody be beaten up by the robbers before we help them. And uh, we have to realize our capacity uh, to care and love. And, and let ourselves do that. So, I know. In uh, and you're absolutely right. In today's world, <laughs> we'd be more concerned about catching the robbers than taking care of the guy. That's a, I, I think that's I think that's an insight that 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 bears uh, repeating. Is we'd be more concerned about catching the robbers than we would about uh, taking care of the person, and. Uh, uh, I think our society has evolved to a very impersonal state. Mm. Uh, just because people get together doesn't mean that they're unified. Uh, now, there were protests back in the, in the, in the 60s and 70s, and... Uh, there were a lot of people in the protests, but one of the things you could ask sometimes was, you know, what are you protesting against? <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. Everybody was just coming this way, and <laughs> we, we just got with them, you know. Somebody handed me this card. And uh, uh, so it wound up being uh, more of a, Actually, it changed. It changed. It changed the U.S. at that time. So we're going to see change again. Uh, the change, actually, where we are now, is a result of some of that stuff in the '60s and '70s. That it actually changed this country a lot. One of the things I think also that that we also should be careful about is I don't think the protest should be for everybody. I think those who don't have power and have a voice should protest. For those of us who do have power and or influence, protest is not the right response for us. Action is. And and, and realizing that I'm not I'm not saying you shouldn't join people out there in the streets. What I'm saying is for those of us who have influence, let's leverage that influence. For those of us who, who have power or control, let's leverage that. That there is something, if we carefully think about it and consider, that we can do. Something practical. Now, it's not going to be on the grand stage. It's not maybe going to reach a thousand, a hundred thousand, a million people. But even if it's just for one person, I believe that... A lot of us, if we carefully examine our situation in life, there are people that we can influence. There's someone you can mentor. There's someone you can coach. There's someone you can employ. There's someone you can uh, elevate. 
There's someone you can promote. There's someone you can chair lead. There's someone you can help educate. There's someone in whom you can invest both financially and otherwise. And 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 I, I, I want us to recognize that we don't get so caught up in protests that we forget the other things that we can do that will go a long way in making a very immediate and tangible difference in people's lives. And so while it's necessary yeah. for us to call attention to the things that are wrong, right? Like I said, let's not be completely chasing after the robbers that we forget, wait, 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 there is still someone who has been beaten and left bloodied on the side of the road. I can put a bandage on it. You can put some olive oil on it. Someone else, we can get together and get the taxi or the Uber that will take him to the innkeeper. We can pull funds together and say, hey, innkeeper, here's a little bit more tomorrow or next week when we come back, we'll check in on them. Instead of, like I said, we go super crazy in one direction of, yeah, hashtag let's cancel, you know, armed robbers. Okay, good. Armed robbers, armed robbers. You know, just like as I say, criminals don't care about the laws that you pass. That's what makes them criminals, right? So the, 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 those heartless, unconvinced people, I'm not sure how much more legislation will change them, but what can inspire them is to see love, compassion, grace, mercy, and forgiveness in action every single day. And this is a key thing, to be honest with you. Those are things you can't legislate. And that's what our country has tried to do, is legislate, have so many laws to make people do the right thing. And it doesn't come from the law. If it would have, it would have worked in Jesus' time. It comes from within. It comes from the heart. And, uh, And so I think that this Samaritan guy... I don't think he even gave it a thought about whether he should help him or not. I don't think it, I think he just. The option of walking away was never. He he never thought about it. I think he just saw this guy and bam, he was on it. And I've seen those people in action. I mean, I've seen people like that in action. And, you know, it it could be a person that's that's injured or people, it could be a person, but I've seen those people, men and women, who just, without thinking about it, you know, uh, jump and 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 do, yeah, because that's what their their whole thinking process, their heart process. That's what that's who they are. It's like you know, I've seen people. If someone is in the water uh, and they're in trouble, I mean, just. Take off, not take off, to jump, jump in the water and go get them. I mean, there. bam, just like that. Yeah. And uh, one friend uh, of ours, he he jumped in the water and he couldn't swim. I mean, obviously not the smartest thing to do, <laughs> but uh, of, yeah. you know everybody's kind of standing around. But one guy, man, he just bailed off right in the water, and and uh, I mean. And got him, and uh, it was, you know, and everybody else is sitting there, you know, 10 or 15 people saying, wow, what happened, you know? And this guy almost, I mean, he almost lost his life just but because someone didn't even think about the consequences or the investment just 
took went for it. Um, and I, I, I've seen those people. Uh, now, I've been that person a couple of times, but not as many times as I should have. Yeah. And uh, uh, But uh, I've, I've been with people when uh, there were motorcycle accidents, uh, car accidents, all kind of things. And, ha- and uh, I mean, there are those people that, that just have that, like the Samaritan did. I don't, I don't, I, I think he wasn't even a thought about turning back. He just jumped in. And, and sometimes we need to do that. There, there is such a wonderful revelation that you brought out there, which is, I think, like you said, we rely so much on legislation and laws to effect what really is the responsibility of the heart yes. and our actions. And love, we need to stop seeing love as a feeling and start seeing love as an action word. Because what exactly happens in this story is he saw him and he took pity on him. There was the emotional connection with this person, but it didn't stop there. The emotion, the, 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 that love moved him to get off his donkey to say, you know what, I guess I'm not going to make it to that appointment that I had. Actually, you know, even better, I think I love it the way you said, I don't even think the idea of, oh, I'm not going to make that meeting entered his mind. I think all that was there was, this man needs help. No, 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 no. This man needs my help. You see, because that's part of the problem we also make sometimes, is we're quick to say, this person needs help. No, 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 this person needs my help. It has to be personal. It has to be a burden that I'm willing to bear. And yes, there's nothing wrong with me calling all the people to come in and say, hey, someone come give me a hand with this man. But it cannot be, hey, is nobody going to help this guy? Well, I guess I got to do it. No, no, no. This man needs help. He needs my help. And I'm going to go offer the help. And to the point I realize I cannot do this by myself, I recruit somebody else. Hey, innkeeper, help me with this guy. Help me get him off the donkey. Help me, let's get him into a room. Help me watch him over this night. You know what, innkeeper? I do have something else that requires my attention, right? I do need to make that meeting. But can you do this for me? Could you watch over him? And as a matter of fact, here's money, and I hope it's enough. And if it's not, I'll take care of it when you come back. One of the things I'm interested in, again, this is what I love about some of these Bible stories, especially the parables, as to how it ends. Because there's a part of me that right now is smiling and optimistic because I think when he came back, the innkeeper said, you know what, it's all right. I got this. Because to think about this, late at night, someone comes in, hey, hey, can you help me get this guy to a room? And you see what he did. And then the next morning to give you money and say, not only am I paying for, let's say, the rest of the week, but I'm when I come back, I'll reimburse you for anything extra. That there is no way this man would not have been moved and inspired to action himself that he took a little bit more care of that person, not because he was getting paid, but he was like, let me do my own part. And I believe I'm optimistic in my thinking of how this story plays out, that when that Samaritan came back the next week or whenever it was, he told him, nah, 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 it's all right. Let me help you out. Let me carry that load and that burden with you. And here's a truth that you mentioned without mentioning is... Once you start to help, others around you will do the same thing. So uh, a lot of times all people are waiting is for somebody to do. Mm. And when they they see 
you, you know, like you're talking about, do what you can, but don't think about doing that alone. Understand that when we do what we can, others will join to help us. And it may not be in the way we're helping, but you, you, you may have somebody say, hey, look, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do that, but here, let me help you get this done. You know, let me take care of this while you're doing, you know, and you'll find that, that you'll be surrounded by people that want to help. Uh, actually, you know, I think this generation today, uh, <laughs> I know they catch a lot of flack, but I think they really want to make a difference. And I, I, I think that the young people today with some good examples could really make uh, uh, an outstanding difference in uh, the direction and definition of who we are uh, today. And, and I'm talking about as a country. But uh, I'm convinced they really want to, to make a difference. I, I'm a little afraid they're a little misguided sometimes, but, <laughs> but uh, I think that's not their fault. I think that comes from outside sources. But uh, you know, they're no longer satisfied to, with just the status quo. You know, they're asking more questions, and that's good. And when people ask questions, it makes us think. And I think that's one of the things, you know, I, I enjoy about us talking is uh, asking questions and thinking about, you know, different things. So I, I'm convinced that if we start to do something individually, that we'll have others join to help in whatever uh, whatever avenue that we go down, whatever road that we, that we go down, you'd, you'd be surprised. Uh, I know when the things happened with the motorcycle group and uh, we started helping, it was just a matter of a week and people across the country were helping. And uh, uh, when people see the need, actually when people see injustice, uh, uh, they want to they help. And sometimes all it takes is somebody to take action. Uh, you know, uh, in a crisis, and, and I've, I've been around people, several people in a crisis. And uh, a couple of times I was a guy that took action. But most of the time, somebody started doing something and I said, oh, yeah, you know, because mm -hmm. you're just, uh, you know. Paralyzed by the confession of that. Just what happened, you know. Yeah. What, and, and then all of a sudden, you, 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 you uh, everything just, when somebody starts doing, goes to the heart of it, then it becomes clear how you can help, and you and you you rush to do that. Uh, so, uh, and uh, and quit worrying about the robbers. Yeah. <laughs> help so, the person. <laughs> yeah. So this this podcast started with a question: What next? Where do you go from here? I think. Jesus ends this parable on the answer to that. When 
he was asked who the neighbor was, and the expert confirmed that it was the Samaritan who had mercy. Jesus leaves him with the subtle command, go and do likewise. And when I reframe my question and rethink my earlier question, where do we go from here? What, what's next? Instead of expecting or hoping to see the world change or people to do things, I'm reminded I should go and do like this man did. Go and do likewise. Be more passionate about the person than the perpetrator. Be more passionate about loving than I am about protesting. Not to say that either is bad, that the latter is bad, but my love has to be more for the people who are suffering. There's a small Overton window that's open to us in which we can begin to effect change. And the way that you do that, go. Go to where people are hurting. Go to where people are suffering. Go to where people have been abandoned on the side of the road and left for dead. Go out of your way. Go to the other side of the road. Go and take them to inns. Go and take them to hospitals. Go and take them to places of respite. And do. Do as you've seen. Do as you have been graciously benefited from the goodness and the mercy of God. Do as you've beneficially learned from what the Samaritan. Do likewise. And give others permission. Not that they really need it, but maybe it's more an invitation. Exactly. Exactly. You know, in this interchange, the person who was very learned in the law at first sought to embarrass Jesus. And then he became... uh, interested in the answer because he gave the answer that was correct so Jesus told the parable but isn't it interesting how Jesus didn't try to embarrass Mm. the lawgiver he tried to teach him something and a lot of times we need to realize that uh, we don't have to make a big deal out of everything we do we just have to do what's right that's the business it's a shame we come to the end of this I was really really getting into this we might bring you back for another one in the future because I think there's there's so much um, so much in there that we can yet still unpack Um, and obviously all of this is a uh, really dynamic and fluid situation and so I really am choosing to be not optimistic because in a number of ways optimism is me just hoping and not doing anything but I'm going to choose to engage to go and do and to inspire someone to do like engage is a very powerful word well sir it's been a pleasure thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you so much for the thinking, the reflection, the sharing. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity for us to tell 
a little bit about what we know and what we felt and what we think about how we can live with purpose in this world. Appreciate you so much. It's the Covenant Podcast. Thank you for listening. Stay blessed.